Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras, episode number 168. We are all designed to sleep. That is something that Risa said to me during this podcast episode while we were recording it. And it sounds so simple and kind of silly, but we really struggle with sleep. Lots of us do, myself included. And because rest and recovery and therefore sleep are crucial factors in ultra running and ultra training success, I thought it was high time that Risa come back on the podcast to talk about it. If you haven't listened to the first episode that we did way back, I'm almost even embarrassed to say this, you guys, because I feel so bad that she hasn't been on since October of 2021. It was so long ago. Episode number 47. The title of the episode is Get More Sleep with Risa Gabrielle. If you haven't listened to that one, make sure that you go back and do that before you listen to this one, because that episode lays the foundation for what we're going to talk about today, which is specifically things that you can do in the day, early in the day to set yourself up for a good night's sleep that night and how to bounce back if you've had a bad night's sleep. So last night, you didn't get as much sleep as you want. Maybe you have a baby or a new puppy or, you know, you just don't sleep well. The neighbors are super loud. Whatever it is, you wake up that next morning. What can you do that day strategically to make sure that the next night you get a better night's sleep? Okay. So without further ado, enjoy my chat with sleep expert and friend of the podcast, Risa Gabrielle. Great. No, it was such a pleasure to come talk to you guys before about all things sleep. So my name is Risa Gabrielle, and I am a sleep therapist. Um, I got into this work from a really personal place in my life of having problems with my sleep for years and years. It kind of culminated in my 20s, and I was having sleep paralysis, which if anyone's had that at night, you know how scary it could be. Um, it's a REM sleep disorder where you your body is paralyzed as it's meant to in REM but you can't move. And it's not a nightmare. It's, you know, totally real. You can picture the room that you're in. So it feels particularly scary because of that. And with that, you get something called hypnagogic hallucinations, um, (laughs) which hypnagogic just means the state between sleep and rest. And because you're in this kind of like altered state between sleep and rest, these things feel really real as well. And some people will picture, um, their bed being on fire, someone sitting on their bed. You might have seen like this, there's a lot of uh, old artwork that depicts this, like with a a demon Mm. laying on someone's chest. I can't remember the name of the artist off the top of my head right now. Sorry to the art aficionados out there. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, there's these depictions of it. The thing that I would always see was someone standing next to my bed. um, And it was never a face I knew. It wasn't like it was a friend or a celebrity or any, you know, face that I could recognize. It felt like I was seeing a complete stranger. So because of that, I would just always have this, you know, especially as as a woman, you know, someone strange is in your room at night. Um, There you, I would just think, oh, I'm going to die. And it was... Terrifying. That's the only word that comes to mind when I hear you tell that story. And I've heard, I've heard you tell it multiple times. And every single time I'm like, that would just, I, I would never want to sleep. I would just be completely terrified. I mean, like it would give me terrors during the day. I, I can't, I don't, I 
I just can't. It's like, I can't even watch scary movies. <laughs> like, I just can't. <laughs> well, you hit on a really good part, point, Megan, because that thing, feeling of like, I don't even want to sleep, that then leads to something called sleep procrastination. And that can come up for a variety of reasons. That could come up because you have, a, you know, some kind of scary sleep disorder, or it might just come up because you have anxiety, or when you get in bed at night, your mind is racing and you can't switch off. So then you kind of delay sleep and delay sleep until you can just lay down and completely crash. But that's not actually ideal for our body. So because of that, yeah, I was procrastinating sleep, staying up way too late, and then in the and then having really restless sleep when I finally did go to sleep at night. And in the day, I was having something that the medical term is excessive daytime sleepiness, which basically just means falling asleep at my desk or inopportune times um, because I was so tired. And I went to various sleep labs and doctors in the US. I live in the UK now, but uh, I am American and originally, you know, live when this was going on, I was living in Florida. And I was just prescribed medications to treat my symptoms rather than being given guidance to get to the root of what was causing it. Which I think now these days that sounds kind of obvious. We're all kind of more looking at our health in a different way, but you know, this was 20 years ago, so it was very much like let's just and also it was America, let's just give them some medicine, you know, let's just give them some drugs. Um, and one thing was supposed to help me sleep at night, like knock me out. It was actually a medical form of GHB, which if anyone's heard of that, that can be used as a date rate drug because it completely knocks you out. And then I was given something to help me stay awake in the day. That was something called Provigil, which is, it's kind of, um, it's related to, uh, oh my God, I'm completely blanking on the name. What do you call it that you take for ADHD? Um, it's a stimulant. Yeah, it's isn't a stimulant. It? Yeah. Like, What's the, not Ritalin, the other one, the other one that a lot of people take um, and often people take it that don't need it just so they can study or focus. I thought Ritalin was it. I thought that's the one that I would come, that's, that's the drug that it's I would think It's like of. in that family. There's okay, like another drug I can't think of, but you can cut this part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we leave it in. <laughs> Somebody out there is like screaming oh, the name of the drug Adderall. right now and is like, Adderall, there Adderall. we go. <laughs> the irony is that I have ADHD and I've never taken Adderall or Ritalin. So maybe this is proof that I, so. I need to. Um, <laughs> so basically the drugs just made me feel worse. You know, it was basically taking an upper in the day and a downer at night. It was all very Valley of the Dolls. And I just gave up. I got off the meds and I just thought I'm going to be tired. It's just part of who I am. Like it's a personality trait. Some people have energy and some people are tired. And I believe that for many years. And it wasn't until I moved to the UK and first trained as a yoga teacher and then just randomly went to this training for yoga for insomnia. And I wasn't even thinking about myself because I technically didn't have insomnia. So I was just thinking, oh, this will be a good training to do a good feather in my cap for helping my yoga students or family members that have insomnia. But it ended up being so much more than that. It wasn't just all about insomnia. It was about sleep in general. And it completely changed my sleep and completely changed my life. And now I would say that I've gone from being, you know, a bad sleeper to being a good sleeper. And most importantly, I know what to do now to recover if I've had a bad night's sleep, because I also have a toddler now. So sometimes <laughs> sleep doesn't go as planned. Um, and I guess that's what we're going to talk about today a lot too, is, you know, rest recovery and naps and just how you can kind of recover, use rest to recover and how you can recover from a bad night's sleep. Because I think that's so pertinent to your listeners and, you know, mm -hmm. athletes especially. Mm -hmm. Well, I love what you were saying about sleep procrastination, because I feel like so many people... And I, myself included at one point, I think I'm getting a little bit better. I've started to implement a lot of the stuff that you and I talked about a while ago. Um, 
and I don't feel I'm as quote unquote bad of a sleeper as I was before. I'm definitely not. I don't know that there is such a thing as a perfect sleeper unless you're a baby, at which point, you know, like if you're getting lots of really good sleep. Babies are not perfect sleepers. (laughs) Let me tell you, that's a lie. (laughs) Yeah. But I think people listening are probably like, oh, that's the name for the thing that Mm. I'm doing, but I just didn't even know it was a thing. Like I, I totally, I just, I'm so just sort of flabbergasted about it. Cause I'm, I'm, I can completely resonate with that. And like not wanting to go to sleep because you know, you're not going to fall asleep for a long time. You're going to have all these, um, recurring thoughts. I got some, someone sent me this meme the other day on Instagram and it was a real, you know, of somebody just staring at the camera, listening to like music playing over and the words are basically like, oh, it's time to go to sleep. Let me present you with the last 10 years worth of shitty decisions and like bad things that happened to you. And you can just play them over and over and over and over in your head again while you're trying to go to sleep. And that was the part that I really resonated with. I was like, this is me. Like, this is it. Like, this is why I don't want to go to bed. Despite the fact that I might be completely exhausted from whatever the physical training and or my workday was, I just don't want to go to bed because I don't want that shitty highlight reel, you know, like playing in my head. So this whole idea of sleep procrastination, I think, is something that people are really going to resonate with. So first, I would just tell, tell people to go back and listen to the first episode that we talked about because we really we went into depth on sleep itself and like basic, I'm going to call it sleep hygiene. I think that's a term that you have used before too. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's kind of like the basic term for it. And we, yeah, we, we went through like the science of sleep, how sleep works, sleep hygiene. The thing that sometimes sleep hygiene gets misunderstood because we just think of it as what you do before bed. And when you see advice out there about sleep, there's a disproportionate amount of it put on what to do before bed. Luckily, there's people now like Andrew Huberman that are talking about, hey, in the morning, you know, and we'll talk about some of that today as well. But I've been, you know, preaching that for years that what you do before bed is only, only a small part of it. You know, what you do when you first wake up in the morning and what you do throughout the day has just as big of an impact. So it's not just about, you know, getting some lavender scented lotion and like, you know, going to bed at a certain time, like those things can all be useful, but there's so much else that we can be doing in the day, not in an overwhelming way, like you have to plan your whole day around it, but just to know there's things I can do in the morning that take five to 15 minutes that can set you up for better sleep at night. And I think that's a relief to people as well, because, you know, that way, you know, that if you've had a bad night's sleep, you don't have to necessarily feel bad all day, but also there's ways that you can set yourself up for getting a good night's sleep Because one of the things that happens with poor sleep is that, you know, bad sleep causes more bad sleep, right? It's connected and you can get stuck in a vicious cycle. So any kind of sleep disorder um, is exacerbated by exhaustion. And that's why, you know, it can feel ironic sometimes that you think, I'm so exhausted, why can't I fall asleep? Because you're overtired, right? And, And that can then trigger if you have sleep paralysis or you have insomnia or you have restless leg syndrome or any of these things, that will actually just be made worse. So it can be really hard to break that cycle, which is why doing things in the morning and the day is what you really need to do to get out of those vicious cycles of bad sleep. Yeah. So the two things I'm really interested for you to talk about are the things that you just mentioned, like what are the things that we can do earlier in the day? And then you touched on it um, right at the beginning. What can we do to, I think your words were bounce back if we've had, you know, a couple bad nights sleep, like what are some of these other strategies? Maybe 
And maybe they, those two things are one and the same, like the early morning stuff and the bounce back strategies. But I feel like those are two things that people will really be able to latch onto and probably be able to implement in, in just like you said, very simple ways. And they're not going to take, you know, a trip to the doctor or even a trip to the store or anything like that. We could, you know, work on a couple quick things at home that would have a real big impact. Yeah. I mean, the great thing is, is that there's a lot of crossover between what you can do to feel better in the day if you've had a bad night's sleep and what you can do to set yourself up for a better night's sleep that night. And just for, you know, managing your body's natural rhythm. So your circadian rhythms with, which is one of the, one of the many drives of sleep, not the only one. And also for rebalancing your sleep hormones, because that's so important as well is that for so many people that are dealing with poor sleep, it's just because their hormones related to sleep are out of whack. So we're talking about, you know, melatonin, you see it as a supplement, but it's actually a hormone. Um, cortisol, adrenaline, all of these things play a big role in our sleep. So it's about trying to balance them. So yeah, a lot of the techniques work for both. And just real quick before I dive in, we talked about this, as you said, last time in detail. So I'm not going to get into it too deeply, but just to say how important the nervous system's role is in sleep. So a lot of these things also have to do with resetting your and regulating your nervous system. Because a lot of us, a lot of clients I see, they have a dysregulated nervous system. And that comes back to being an issue with every single sleep problem out there, except maybe obstructive sleep apnea. Um, But there's two different types of sleep apnea, but even that can benefit from relaxation techniques. So anyway, to answer your question, um, I think, you know, the, the first thing is that if you've had a bad night's sleep, you you need to work on having things in place to have a good mindset about it. Because I know mm. when I was really not sleeping well and I'd wake up in the morning tired, I would just think, oh, the whole day is going to suck. You know, this is, yes. this is like, you just wake up with a bad footing. And that mentally for me, it's like I would talk myself into making it worse unbeknownst to yes. me. So I always say, you know, self-talk is really important. If you've had a bad night's sleep, you can come up with some mantras or things you can tell yourself in the morning. You know, I can go into more details on those if you want as well. But just having like some positive self-talk to just be like, okay, I've had a bad night's sleep, but that doesn't mean the whole day is going to be bad. You know, I, here's what I can do. And having even like a little list of things that you know that you can touch on. And this is what I, you know, build for my clients, of course. And then also like simplifying your day as much as possible. So looking at your to-do list and what are some things that are going to require a lot of thinking that you don't necessarily have to do today? You know, can you go for some easy wins? And I'm sure that can apply to, you know, to exercise and to, you know, what you teach as well in terms of like going for the the bare minimum that's going to be the most important rather than Mm -hmm. trying to do too much. Like, Yes. I don't want to speak to your coaching style, but no, you know. yeah, no, totally. I, I completely agree. And on this point in particular, because I think that um, one of the things that I talk about a lot is the daily shakedown, which is, you know, just like, and I know you have posted recently a lot of videos of you dancing in your kitchen for, you know, lymphatic uh, purposes. Um, but like some sort of movement early in the day to help get your blood going and help you take your joints and your muscles through their greatest range of motion. And that being a way for you to do sort of, I call it like a systems check, like looking at your body, having a, having a minute where you're not connected to a screen or a phone or a kid or your email or whatever, 
and going through and just checking in and saying, okay, how's everything head to toe? And I'm a big proponent of using that to help inform you on what you tackle that day in terms of your training. Um, because if your hip is super cranky and you can't get it to quote unquote, let go, then it's probably not going to be a good idea for you to do a heavy squatting day or to run a bunch of hills or, you know, you, you have to make those sort of informed decisions about your training and doing that system check and, and having a good mindset about, you know, the status with which you show up to the day is super important. Yeah, like exactly that. And, and like you say, you know, with the shakedown, it's like, it's a simple thing that you can do that you get so much from. And that's what I feel like with these sleep things as well. There's a lot of little things that we can do at home that take a matter of minutes that can completely set yourself, set yourself up for a not being so tired in the day and also having a better night's sleep. So you asked about like mornings, like what you can do in, in the morning. Um, and these things are good, like whether you've had a bad night's sleep or not, these are just great things to do in the morning. These are things that you want to do in the morning to help sleep better at night. So the first thing is, um, I mean, I don't actually have these in a particular order, but one thing I'll say is hydrate. So when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is drink a pint of water, um, you know, have it by my bed at night. And that is like one of the first things I do. Yeah, I'll go to the bathroom and I'll brush my teeth and, and put in my contacts. Maybe I'll do that first. Maybe I'll have the water first, but within it's pretty soon after waking because the brain is actually about 80% water and we wake up so dehydrated. And if you want to be able to think clearly and focus and function in the day, it's so important to hydrate before you have any caffeine. So I'm not telling people not to have caffeine in the morning, but hydrate first and hydrate a good amount. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. I know there are going to be people that are listening to this that are asking, does coffee count? If it's water-based, like does coffee count as my hydration? No, it doesn't. No, water, mean, water, water, water. There are like debates over, you know, does coffee count or is it just a diuretic? Or da, da, da. Yeah. It's like the thing with coffee is you're getting to a whole other thing because it's a stimulant, of course. And one of the things about the way our body is designed in terms of sleep is our circadian rhythm gives us a boost of cortisol in the morning to help us wake up. So you might have heard of cortisol as the stress hormone, but it's not all bad. It's so important in the morning to help us wake up and start our day. So if you already have that cortisol in your system, even if you're tired, you may not feel it. It's there. And then you layer onto that with like some coffee or matcha or whatever. And you're basically just like, overcharging that system, overstimulating that system, and it's going to actually make you feel worse. So, you know, there's this whole idea of having your caffeine in the morning strategically rather than habitually. So, you know, not just being that thing that you think you need to wake up, but having it when, you know, when you're ready, once you've had water, some people will say you should always have food before you have caffeine. Some people do a type of fasting where they'll maybe, maybe they do like a bulletproof coffee and they they have, you know, caffeine without. I'm not a nutritionist to debate that, but I will say hydration yeah. at least first. And then the other thing we want to do in the morning um, is limit our phone use. So don't reach for your phone first thing. So I tell people that if they're going to do anything to help their sleep is to not use your phone as your alarm clock and not have it right by your bed. And this, of course, will help at night because you're not looking at your phone last thing before you go to bed at night. Like You should have at least 30 minutes before bed where you're not looking at your phone. But same thing goes for the morning. When you look at your phone first thing in the morning, the, the, the inputs that you're getting from the outside world 
are going to affect your hormones. So maybe you read a stressful work email and then all of a sudden your cortisol is spiked more than it should be. You know, maybe you're like looking at something and it gets your adrenaline going. Maybe you're just like, looking at things that you're trying to get dopamine and then you go into this like dopamine loop and why do you want to start your day like that you know we're all addicted to our phones we really need to just have a little bit of a separation so i say to people like at least the first 15 minutes in the morning if you can do longer that would be great i try to do like 30 minutes um so at, you know but at least those first 15 minutes where you're not looking at your phone where you're not having other people's ideas and thoughts be the first thing that you encounter in the day because you're cutting yourself off from so much possibility to be connected to yourself and also to maybe have ideas that come up and things that kind of come in that early morning time. So yeah, definitely not having the phone right by your bed. Um, you know, you can put it, I'd say you can put your phone to bed before you go to bed, right? So you can put it in another room or put it across the room. Like I keep my phone across my bedroom. Um, and don't look at it, you know, and I put it away before I go to bed and then it's like, it's over there. So doing that will be really, really beneficial as well. And the other reason is that when you look at your phone in the morning, yeah, you get blue light, but that is never going to help you wake up as much as actually having natural light. So the other thing you want to do is get outside and get natural light. Now, I know in the winter that can be harder. Maybe then you'll need to use a seasonal affective disorder lamp or one of those alarm clocks that lights up. There's other ways to kind of compensate for that. But, you know, right now it's summer and we're having nice, um, nice light in the northern hemisphere. So it's like get out and enjoy it. Even on mm -hmm. an overcast day, it's really important to get outside and view natural light. So if it's a yeah. really bright, sunny day, then you can just be outside for maybe five minutes. I mean, go out in your pajamas. Go out. With your, yeah. with your glass of water, with your coffee, do your yep. exercise, you know, go for a run, whatever the first things are you do in the morning, try to do them outside. Even if you just are, you know, you could do your shakedown outside, couldn't you, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, you could. <laughs> Many mornings I go out onto my deck and do it. <laughs> amazing. So it's like, you know, even just that, like get out, just get outside. Don't, don't feel like you have to go put on your Lycra and like look a certain way. Just like go, roll out in your pajamas. As, as you mentioned, you know, me dancing around yeah. in the kitchen in my pajamas. Um, and then if it's a like slightly overcast day or partly cloudy day, you might need maybe 15 minutes outside. If it's a gray day, even a gray day, getting natural light within the first few hours of waking will have a huge positive impact. Mm -hmm. um, you might just need to be out for more like 30 minutes. Mm hmm. But it's, it's really useful for A, setting your circadian rhythms and B, boosting your melatonin levels, which melatonin mm. is one of the major drives of sleep. And a lot of people have a lack of melatonin and mm -hmm. it's so much better to be able to make it yourself rather than go out and take the supplement. So I have a, I had a quick thought as you were talking about the the melatonin levels and um I know that so many of us are vitamin D deficient does vitamin D play into sleep at all and I know just these 5 minutes um in the full bright sun might not make us a, a bunch of vitamin D but it's more than nothing right like especially if you're somebody who just gets up gets dressed gets in the car, goes to work, spends all day in, a, in the office, doesn't, you know, go outside at all, comes home and just goes right back, you know, inside. Does that, does vitamin D play into that at all? Well, I think that's interesting because of course, if you're lacking vitamin D, you're probably going to have lower melatonin levels as well. I'd have to look at mm. the studies to see the correlation there, but mm. I would wager a guess that there would be one because if you're not getting that natural light, 
your melatonin is not going to be as high. And melatonin, by the way, isn't necessarily something that makes you sleepy. I think we think that because you can get it in the States as, in supplement form. In Europe, you can't, by the way. You can't get it here as a supplement. Interesting. Um, or at least in the UK. I can't speak for mainland Europe, I totally. But um, I would assume you might not be able to get it over there as well. But melatonin isn't that. It's actually a neurotransmitter that sends a signal to the brain that it it works with the neurotransmitters rather, yep. sending a signal to the brain that it's time to go to sleep and stay asleep. So it doesn't just come in all at once and knocks you out. It goes in the body through the night and it peaks around 3 or 4 a.m. So when you're having low melatonin levels, it's not just like you can't fall asleep. It might be the reason that you're waking up at 3, 4 a.m. and not able to get back to sleep. Um, and this is why, you know, getting that natural light in the morning is going to be so important just because melatonin is triggered by light good for good and bad. So the natural light boosts it, but then we want it to naturally taper off in the evening and looking at your phone will will actually deplete it. So blue light specifically depletes your melatonin production. So it's going to make it harder to fall asleep and to stay asleep and have quality sleep. But there's lots of supplements out there that have, you know, been bandied about, about having like a link to sleep, like selenium is an, it was one that people are talking about a lot right now. There's been different studies about that. Um, you know, for any of these things, I mean, I could recommend, there's a lot of supplements out there that are good for most people to take. Like mag magnesium is probably the best one if you're going to take something for sleep. Um, and that can also be great for muscle recovery. So, you know, for for your listeners, um, magnesiums can be really useful. But then in terms of like drilling down into specific supplements, I always like to work with a client and kind of figure out what's going on and sometimes refer them on to a nutritionist that I work with so we can actually test for some of these things. Because I think there's such a thing nowadays where, of course, we want to be proactive and help ourselves. So we'll look up what are the best supplements for sleep or ADHD or all this stuff. And then we'll take a lot of things that may not actually work with what's going on in our body and our system. Um, and you know something that makes somebody else feel good can make you feel feel worse you know like I had a recent thing where I was having issues when I was taking lion's mane it was making me feel really weird and then I I learned that if you have autoimmune issues um that lion's mane's not great for you and I have I'm celiac and I didn't I didn't know that you know so what's good for one person isn't good for everybody so I'm you know I don't want to say go out and like take things but most people though with diet vitamin D specifically, most people are, are low in vitamin D. So I think most nutritionists that I work with, I take vitamin D every day. Um, I think that's probably something that at unless you're like living on the equator and you're getting sun like every single day, probably mo even when I was living in Florida, I was having low vitamin D ironically, because I was probably, you know, working in an office most of the day. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, magnesium and vitamin D are probably pretty good bets on, on things you could take daily that could help your sleep. That's awesome. Yeah. I think like a lot of us, again, going back to sort of what we talked about earlier, we've sort of been conditioned to think like sleep requires a serious medical intervention in some sort of, you know, sleep study or sleep drugs. And for certain people, yes, absolutely. Um, but I think there's a lot of this basic stuff that we're sort of talking about now that you could test out on your own and see if it makes a little improvement or maybe even a drastic improvement. And you could do that very easily, very simply, you know? So I think this is a good, this will be another good conversation for people to sort of tack on to our previous conversation. Exactly. And that's, that's the thing of it is like so much of what we need to have good sleep is just naturally derived. We are all yes. designed to sleep. 
That is one thing that we all innately know how to do. And then just through our lives, through our, you know, modern day life of being connected to screens, addicted to our phones, you know, being really, really busy, dealing with families, dealing with kids, all of these things that kind of outside stressors, maybe anxiety issues, maybe just chronic stress, all these things pile up and pile up and pile up and they disconnect us from our primal ability to sleep. But that's what we, we all have it. It's, it's immediately in there. Like that's the one, you know, we all need to eat. We all need to sleep. We all need to poop, you know, right? Like there's, yeah. certain, <laughs> there's certain things that we all, that we all do as humans and we, we know how to, to do them. It's about remembering. It's about relearning and, and getting, getting back to that. So that's so much of what is, you know, what I do with like my clients is like getting you, you, and sometimes you say back and people think, well, I was never a good sleeper to begin with. So, (laughs) and that can be true. Um, some people might've had different, you know, sleep issues when they were younger or they've had different, you know, sometimes you're a kid and there's stress going on in your family and that can have an impact on your sleep. Um, but that's a whole kids and sleep is a whole topic for another day. But yeah, totally. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the the beauty the the kind of the beauty of it is it's all just about getting back to things naturally. But of course, we're not going to go live in a cave. So it's about figuring out things we can do in our modern world that can help our sleep despite all of the modern day distractions. Yeah. And I think one of the things that came up for me while you were talking was removing the roadblocks or like removing the barriers, right? It's, it's, we've built up all of these things to be conveniences. And in, in, in a large sense, they are, you know, being connected, having information at your fingertips and things being convenient for, to get and things like that. Communication, that's all great. But also at the same time, we have these basic fundamental needs that you were just talking about that if we don't get them, all that other stuff doesn't matter because life will just be fundamentally so challenging if you're not well rested, if you're not well hydrated, if you're not getting quality movement all over in your body, if you're not feeding yourself well, good high quality foods, like none of that other stuff matters. So I think really sleep isn't something that you should ignore or uh, like make, I don't, I don't mean make light of it as if it's a joke, but I guess maybe, cause some people are like, yeah, I'm, I'm a crap, shitty sleeper. Like I just don't, I don't sleep. And it's, you know, it's the, the joke is the mechanism through which they deal with it. But really that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> like we were, we really need to do that. We really need to deal with it. And if you're training for something that sleep is super important because that's the actual time that you're going to be making the gains when your body recovers and you actually get the benefit of the work that you just did. So yeah, I know you've said that so well, and it's so important, you know, not to not to deprioritize sleep. Like it needs to be a priority. And, you know, often there's that idea of, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead or okay. You know, I can, I can like not sleep right now and I'll just watch succession instead. Or, you know, we do these trade-offs and you're like, what is actually important? And because I'm a night owl and because I could ease, and I have ADHD, it could be very easy for me to stay up till all hours for no good reason. And I literally mm-hmm. have an alarm on my phone. I have two alarms at night. One is just say, TV off, stand up, go to bed. That's at 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. But because... I'm known to override my alarms. I have another one that goes off 10 minutes later that says, no, really, go to bed. Nothing you're doing right now is more important than sleep and feeling rested. <laughs> love it. Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> that might sound ridiculous, but it's so helpful. <laughs> and No, I agree. You know, we have to parent ourselves. We have to, but not in a 
negative way like oh you know telling yourself off but like we need to give ourselves that support and that care you know as a, mm-hmm. a kind parent would you know and I just yeah. think that is so if you're someone who you sleep procrastinate or you're a night owl or you stay up too late you can feel free to steal that technique put in whatever words you know work for you it might change over time I used to say how do you want to feel in the morning that's what the alarm used to say but then I felt like that was shaming me a bit so I'm like no I'm just cutting to the chase this is what I need but sleep is not something that we can that we can put off you know it's not something that you can that you can like think oh I'll do without it and everything will still be fine because sleep has an impact on our physical health our mental health our ability to focus, our general mood and well-being, all of this. And go back and listen to the first episode because we talk about that in detail, all of the mechanisms of sleep. And as you say, physical healing. You know, that's what's going on in deep sleep is your body's repairing from the work that you've done. So as an athlete, I think especially, this is why you'll see a lot of professional sports teams working with sleep coaches and sleep therapists like myself um, because they realize the importance, you know, of that. So we talked about getting up and getting some sunlight, getting hydrated first thing in the morning. Are there other things or are those two like the big major ones? There's two more that I want to, that I want to touch on. Um, One is rest. So it Mm -hmm. can sound really counterintuitive to think I just woke up. Why would I go back and have rest? But especially if you've had a bad night's sleep, if like myself, you're awoken in the night by a toddler. Um, When (laughs) my son wakes up really early, I'm not a morning person. So what I often do is when he wakes up early in the morning, I'll get up with him. But then when my husband will take over at some point, I'll go back to bed if I'm tired. Like if I've had a night, this is like, if I've been up with him in the night and he's woken up at before six and I'm exhausted, I will go back to bed and rest. And I will probably listen to a yoga nidra recording, which is a guided meditation that puts you in that hypnagogic state between sleep and rest. And it allows you to access um, the deep levels of sleep without actually having to go into deep sleep. So it's really, really potent. And 30 minutes of it can feel like getting one or two hours of sleep. That's my like tip to all the parents out there, by the way. (laughs) Pro tip. Yeah, but but to anyone, it's not just parents, you know. So um, we can like share with your uh, listeners, if you share links or anything later, but I could share some um, yoga nidras that I really like. I'm sure we talked about it last time as well, but it may not be doing that. Maybe you don't have 30 minutes. There's shorter ones that are 15 minutes. Maybe you don't have that. Maybe you have five minutes. And instead of pressing snooze and going back to sleep, you do um, a yoga pose called legs up the wall, which I say it's a yoga pose because you'll see it in yoga, but you can literally do it on your bed. You just, you know, pull your pillow away from your wall or headboard, whatever's behind your bed, put your hips against it and then turn. So your legs are up on the air, in the air, resting on the wall. Your feet are about hip distance apart and you're just lying down comfortably and close your eyes. If you do that for the duration of a snooze or you know for five minutes and you're not looking at your phone and that is a really, really restorative pose because you are getting the circulation moving in a different way. So it's really invigorating. It's like doing a headstand, but you don't actually have to stand on your head. So yep. that's a great one to do in the morning or doing a supported child's pose where you have uh, a few pillows under you. So you would do it you know, as you would do child's pose, but you're laying on something like a few pillows, a few cushions. Um, again, doing that in bed, having that little bit of rest in the morning is really important to recuperating, you know, if you've had a bad night's sleep, but also to soothing your nervous system. So if you wake up wired and tired, as many people do, you know, having those few minutes, whether it's five minutes or 30 minutes, you know, building that into your schedule. That's why I say it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You know, it's not like, oh, I don't have time. It's like, just do five minutes, 
you know, just do that. The other thing that's really good in the morning, and this ties in exactly to what you teach, is movement. So morning movement, you know, doing your shakedown, doing some kind of movement in the morning. It doesn't mean you have to go hit the gym or go hit the trail. It doesn't mean you have to go out for a big workout, but just getting the body moving in the morning is really good for setting your circadian rhythm as well. So it's not just going to like make you feel better in the day and help you check in with yourself and all those things, but it's also going to help your sleep. And again, even a few minutes or how long is your shakedown normally? I tell people it can be as little as five minutes or as long as they have time for. I I don't tend to put a restriction on it because A, I want people to just get up and do it. And so even if it's a one minute thing, that's the seed that they plant for a while. They'll eventually, I have never had anybody come back to me and be like, this shakedown sucks. I get no benefit from it, right? Like it's always positive. They're like, yep, I spent a minute and I did some shoulder circles and some hip circles and I touched my toes a couple times or whatever. And I feel so much better. And then eventually we repeat the things that give us good feelings, right? So if that feels good to you, then you're going to want to do it again. So people eventually over time, they start to expand that and make it five or 10 or 15 minutes on the days that they have time for it. And if they don't, then they have learned, okay, these are the spots that really need the most attention. I'm just going to hit them. And then if I have time either later in the day, I actually teach it as a way to sometimes do it before bed as a way to help you release, you know, any sort of pent up energy or stress and help your nervous system sort of wind down a little bit. So you really, I talk about doing it morning, noon or night, like at any point in time. No. And that's great that you say it's just, you know, starting with a few minutes. Like that's one of the things that I always talk about in terms of these sleep habits, you know, start, start with two minutes. And that's what I think James Clear says in his book, Atomic Mm. Habits is like two minutes is all it takes to start to build a habit. And it can be so easy to look at these things and just feel overwhelmed and just think, oh, it's another thing. I'm already so busy. How am I going to fit this stuff in? It's just, you know, layering. The other thing is like habit stacking, right? So layering into stuff you're already doing. So having that movement in the morning is is going to be really, you know, really helpful to to starting your day. Um, And, you know, it may not even be like, it might also be something that can you can use both for the self-talk and for the rest, by the way, is like listening to a self-compassion meditation, um, which might sound really woo if you're not into that sort of thing, but it's a really nice thing to do. There's one there's one that I, I really like that's a, a five-minute body scan. So, you know, that can really tie in well with, with your methods as well of checking in with the body and seeing where you're feeling at different parts of the body. So um, that kind of thing can just really help with your mindset as well and your rest. So it can kind of kill a few birds with one stone. Um, yeah. Yeah. The other I thing. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no. Well or whatever. I was going to say the other thing is just, you know, throughout the day, make sure you're fueling yourself the right way with, with food. So, you know, avoiding things that cause fatigue, like sugar and energy drinks and like heavily processed food. Limiting caffeine. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, not going to take anyone's coffee away, but (laughs) being aware of how much of it you're having in the day, whether it's coffee or tea or Coke or whatever you're drinking. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, hopefully you're not, you're not training and also drinking tons of like 
overly processed things like Coke, but you know, I don't know. Um, but you know, that well, is- I think this is one of the tricky things with training too, especially for ultras, because there's sort of this dichotomy about what we eat in our everyday lives and trying to make it as high quality as possible. And then the tricky part is when sometimes when we're doing, and this is really you know, mostly in a race context, but sometimes on longer runs or races, we'll actually pull out some of that high processed stuff like, you know, white, white bread, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And it's mostly because it's a quick and very effective delivery method for the thing that we need, which is the carbs or the protein, right? And so I think this, this is sort of a whole separate topic, but I think we all innately know that, what we should be eating in terms of high quality foods. But then where ultra runners and and long distance runners sometimes get tripped up is like, well, I eat, you know, like myself, if I have a, um, um, a stomach issue, my go-to on long runs or in races is ginger ale. So I might drink like, you know, three or four or five ginger ales over the course of a race. Right. And, but it's like, it's serving a purpose, but I would never drink five ginger ales on a daily basis. So this is sort of where, you know, there's, different contexts, you know, different applications. So we sort of have to hold those two things, you know, in our minds, they can occupy the same sort of space, so to speak. Um, but I think my, my, my big point here is just you, you innately know, I think we all innately know what we should be eating in order to really fuel ourselves well and making that a priority and not defaulting to, oh, well, I'm going to go run or I'm going to go lift or I'm going to do this. So it's sort of, balances or washes it out, right? It's just, it's one of those tricky sort of gray areas when it comes to running sometimes. <laughs> totally. I mean, and that's life in general, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's like we have to be able to flow between things. And, uh, you know, a couple points I want to make based on what you said is like, first of all, sleep is not about perfection. So it's not like every day you have to eat perfect. And every day, you know, you can't have a late night, you can't go out drinking with your friends. Like it's not to say you have to live some like, you know, chase monk life life in order to sleep well. That, that's not the case. But when you have a day where you are feeling more tired, it's almost like the opposite of what you said, you know, you're when you're in a race day, and you need that quick, you know, that quick fix, right, you need that thing to just work really fast. And it may not be than you'd eat in your normal life. I totally get that. But it's almost like you want to think about that opposite when you're really tired. So when you're really tired, like not going for the quick fixes. As much as it can be so tempting to just reach for the sugar, have five cups of coffee, we that's going to actually make your sleep worse. So that's going to... That's so good. It's that is so good. Put your nervous system into overdrive. It's going to, you know, work against... I don't know if you've t- covered, you know, much about caffeine, but, you know, the way caffeine works is it blocks our adenosine receptors. And um, adenosine is is one of the drives of sleep. It's known as sleep pressure. It builds up over the course of the day. And when it builds up to a certain point, that's like when you're ready to sleep at night. So caffeine works by getting to the neurotransmitters before the adenosine can get there and inhibiting them. And that's why you're able to stay up. But, you know, so if you're having too much caffeine in the day, you're not going to be able to sleep well at night. You're blocking that body's process. And adenosine is like the only way that you can actually relieve it is to go to bed at night. It's such an important part of the process and you want it to be functioning, functioning well. So this is why I'm saying like limiting your caffeine, even if you're tired. Um, you know, I was working with someone recently who's she, you know, this is the thing It's like, you can know all this stuff, but then still 
be doing, getting into bad habits, you know? Yes. It's not just about the intellectual knowing of it. And I was working with a woman recently who she's a hypnotherapist and she's a massage therapist. So she understands the brain and the body. And she was having at least five to six cups of tea. I will say tea because, you know, we're in the UK. So I think it was tea (laughs) per day. Um, And she was like, her cortisol levels were out of whack. And she had worked with a nutritionist who had told her your cortisol levels are way too high. And like, she knew this, but she was in such a vicious cycle with being tired that she couldn't disengage from it. And it's like, that's one of the reasons we were working together is kind of to help her let go of it mentally. So it's really important to, like I said before, having your caffeine strategically rather than habitually. So like maybe before you go into a meeting or before when you need to be focused, before you sit down to work on a project, but not just like drinking it through the day out of habit and also being really careful about how late you're having it at night because caffeine can have a half-life of up to 10 hours. So it can stay in your body for hours after you've consumed it. So even if you're able to like have a coffee after dinner, say you're in Italy and you have a coffee after dinner and you fall asleep, you may not sleep well through the night or have good quality sleep because of that caffeine. Yeah. It's still in your body. I still, my brain is still just like on fire about what you said in terms of like, it's the reverse for when you have a, a bad night's sleep, like don't reach for the quick fix, which is what which is what we've sort of as like a culture been trained to do, right? Like have a problem, here's the quick fix. And what you're saying is, no, do the opposite. Like go for the water, go for the, you know, salad, you know, not that you said that, but, you know, go for the thing that is less processed, go for the thing that you don't necessarily think is going to solve the problem like right now. Um, And I think over, and this sort of ties back into what I talk about too. It's like this even though this is a, we'll just use the word problem right now in the short term, the fix isn't going to happen right now. It's going to happen by you doing the, 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 the good things again, just, I'm just using good, bad problem just to to Mm -hmm. denote the differentiation between these things. Um, do the good things now and stack them up, like compound them over time. And then eventually your sleep issues will be diminished or maybe even go away altogether. The same thing is true of nutrition and training and like the things that you're doing right now. Yes, they're important right now, but you're going to get the payoff down the line. And that's what's really the, the more important thing. Exactly. It's about laying the groundwork because, you know, it's taken your body this long to get out of whack. And it's just about, you know, retraining, you know, talking about training, it's like you're retraining the body, you're retraining yourself yes. how to sleep. And it doesn't mean it has to be super hard or painful, but it definitely does take a mindset shift. Because and it's hard, I get it. When you're tired, it's hard. When you're tired, it's hard to think, I okay, I'm instead of this, like, donut, I'm going to eat some smoked salmon, <laughs> you know, like, it's, yes. it's harder to get but I, I it's something that the more that you do it, the more that you remind yourself, the more mm-hmm. that it becomes second nature. So, you know, I had a night a few weeks ago where my son wasn't feeling well in the night. And we were up a lot. And the next morning I was so tired. And I really, you know, just wanted to make like a PB and J and just have like an easy morning. And I was like, no, I'm going to have the eggs and the salmon and the spinach, you know, having the protein and having mm-hmm. foods with high vitamins and minerals, like, like nuts, like spinach, like eggs, avocado, kale, you know, all of those things, chia seeds, those are good source of, sources of energy that are going to help you on those tired days. So, trying, you know, trying to make it as, as easy as possible, too. It's like if you don't have the energy to whip up some big, you know, breakfast, what are some easy things you can go for? You know, can you have, um, 
you know, can you just like hard boil some eggs or do you know what I mean? Can you just go yeah. with something simple that's still going to give you that when you go out for lunch that day or if you're working and you're having lunch, can you have, yeah, maybe the salad with the chicken, but like a good source of protein, not going for the sugar and the, the you know, highly processed foods. Um, and just, you know, again, drink plenty of water. Water helps facilitate the energetic processes of the body. So you want to be hydrating, you know, all day and that's going to help. Some people will ask about sleep and hydration in terms of like if, you know, drinking too much right before bed. I will say don't like chug a glass of water right before you go to sleep. And if you're going to have tea before bed, try to have it be like 90 minutes before you go to bed, not like not like in bed reading your book, sipping tea, because yeah, that can make you have to get up and go to, you know, use the bathroom more in the night, of course. But some people like they're, they said, Oh, I, I'm, you know, not drinking water at night, but I'm still getting up to use the toilet a lot. That's actually a sign of your nervous system being too much in the sympathetic side and the adrenalized side, because when you're in a sympathetic nervous system state, it relaxes your bladder. And that might sound like a nice thing. Oh, the blood is relaxed, but it's actually not a good thing because that might be the reason that you're having to get up and use the toilet more often in the night. Interesting. I did not know that. That's interesting. I'll send you my slide about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, please. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you know, when I'm trying to do a bunch of water, I always try to front load it during the day because, um, I just don't want to be up peeing all night. And so I'll drink most of my water in the first half of the day. And then I largely go by, uh, you know, color of urine frequency. Like, you know, am I, am I hydrated? You know? Um, and so I, I don't tend to drink a ton before bed, obviously, because I don't want to be up, but definitely being well hydrated has, has, I can tell, you know, in the mornings how I've done the day before, right? Like on my hydration, if I'm like so dry, if my mouth is like, everything is just dry. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. Mm. This is completely different, but maybe we don't talk about it today, but here's an interesting thing that I have um, figured out. I've you know, test on myself. I have been taping my mouth for like the last couple of months. And I find this is so random. I like completely interrupted our discussion to talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) But it goes along with the hydration thing too. Because um, I think I unknowingly was doing a lot of sleeping with my mouth open. So I would wake up and my mouth was super dry. And then I was listening to, it was probably Huberman, talk about tape, mouth tape. And so I started doing it and breathing, just like improving my breathing as well. And I have found that I sleep better on the nights that I remember to tape my mouth. Yeah, I mean thoughts. No, I I think it's, it's like the first part where you or the second part where you said about you know doing the breathing. I think is so mm. important. There's breath practices you can do at night and in the morning, or just even in the day that can help you sleep better at night. Um, the taping is interesting one. I haven't personally done it yet. And I've been like toying with the idea of doing it for years, but I also have had a new baby the last few years. And that's when it kind of yep. became a trend. And it's like, if I need to get up with him in the night, then it's like awkward to have the tape on. And yep. just like, I think that's why I've been, um, I haven't been doing it. But I, I also, you know, like I say, because I do so many other things, I, I sleep pretty well these days. But that, but that's something that I think is, is worth a try if, if, um, 
you know, if people want to give it a go, obviously there's certain type of mouth tape you buy. It's mm-hmm. not like, yes. you know, getting out the, the, you know, packing tape and putting that over your mouth or anything. <laughs> no, um, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know, tape it in a certain way that like, I think you're, the corners are still open, right? So you can still, yes. you're still getting you go right here. But the one thing I will say about that is if you're somebody who you're naturally a bit stuffy, um, yes. don't go straight to the mouth taping, do some breath retraining first. So mm-hmm. there's breathing exercises you can do that can get you more used to breathing out of the nose that can that can reduce some of that congestion. It can seem kind of opposite. It's like, oh, if I'm congested, how do I breathe out of the nose? But actually there's ways you can kind of retrain your breath. Um, there's a whole the system. I can't remember what it's called right now, but there's this whole system that can help you if you're a mouth breather, <laughs> basically mm-hmm. like learn how to rebreathe out of your nose better. So what I would say to people is like, if you feel like you're just stuffy every morning and agreed, like, like work, make sure you work on that and don't just go straight to the taping because you can still try the taping as like you're not covering your whole mouth. You're not going to I don't want to tell people they're not going to choke, but I, hopefully you're not going to choke, um, you know, in the night. But, you know, it's not like that, but it's just it may not be as comfortable. So, you know, working on the retraining first, but you're not the only one who's told me that they've had success with the mouth taping. Um, I've had a few different friends in the wellness world who have tried it and have said that's really helped them. And the mm-hmm. reason that it's helping is because you're breathing through your nose. And yes. when you're breathing through your nose, you're better I mean, of course, there's so many different ways to breathe and there's lots of great techniques that do mouth breathing, but in general, you're oxygenizing your body in a better way. Um, If anyone here has ever suffered with sleep apnea or has any family members that have suffered from it, that's an issue where you're not getting the breath in the right way and you're not getting enough oxygen to your system. And especially if you have obstructed sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea obstructive sleep apnea. Um, I said obstructed the first time, but you know, <laughs> if you have that kind, especially, um, then, you know, that, that can be quite hard on your heart because you're mm-hmm. basically depriving yourself of, and your whole system, you're depriving yourself of oxygen. So the reason that mouth taping is supposed to work really well is because you're getting good oxygen into your body while you're sleeping. So I should have probably led with that. You know, that's kind of like one of the points, the main points of it that's supposed to be helpful. Um, But now that you've said it, I'm like, "Hmm, maybe I need to start trying it. (laughs) Yeah, I should have led also with the fact is like, I'll, you know, if it's, if I'm having a real bad allergy attack, or if I have a sign like a, a head cold thing going on, I won't do it. But on days when I can breathe freely through my nose, I will, you know, put a piece of tape and I, I'm mimicking for you guys, obviously this is a podcast, but like vertically right beneath my nose, up and down across the center of my lips. Um, and I've just found, I've also been, I got a new watch recently, a new Garmin watch that tracks my sleep better than my old one. And so I'm conducting a little mini sleep experiment with, uh, heart rate variability and like sleep and taping my mouth and sleeping and, and all of these things. And I feel like it's having I just generally feel better on the nights that I do it. I know that I get better sleep. My watch tells me I get better sleep. Like I can see when I'm getting more, you know, deeper REM sleep as opposed to just light or when I'm active and stuff like that. So I just thought it was an an interesting thing to bring up because you're right. There are a lot of people that are talking about mouth taping and I actually resisted it for probably over a year because I was just like, uh, I don't know. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of weird. And like, yeah, it's a trend. It's a fad. It's whatever. Um, and, and yeah, it might be, but I have found for me personally that, that it has started to work. And I feel like, remember last time when we talked and I was like, I really need to get better at napping. 
I feel like on the nights when I do the taping, I don't feel as though I need the nap because my sleep is better, higher quality. I'm getting more of it. So just interesting. No, like, of course. I mean, as correlate. you say, you know, you're getting better quality sleep. And, and does your app, does the Garmin app show oxid, oxygen levels while you're sleeping? That's a good question. Which of course um, isn't a perfect way to track it on these sleep apps because it's just something on your wrist. There's better ways to track it. But I know like, I think the Fitbit one, when you have the premium, it shows you that. Trying to remember. I know that I can take like a pulse ox, but I have to, I don't, actually, I do think that I could turn it on. Oh, that might be interesting for me to turn it on before I go to bed and let it run um, all night because it will drain my battery quicker. And so I think I don't have it turned on full time because of that. But maybe I will try that tonight and see what goes on. Because what you're looking for is like low variations in your oxygen level. So like actually, I just opened my Fitbit app to look at it because it does, um, it does like show you. I thought it was just on the premium one. I forgot it was even there, just on the normal one. But it, I'll just. I know this is a podcast; they can't see. Yeah. But it shows you this little graph that shows mm-hmm. your oxygenation variation. Ooh, and interesting. This one just like this is what the Fitbit app says blood oxygen saturation normally fluctuates but high variations can be linked to breathing issues estimated oxygen variation approximates the change in your blood oxygen saturation so it's just like mine are quite like i'm not having high fluctuations so that might be something Mm -hmm. interesting to look at too like if you're already having pretty low fluctuations or if you're having higher ones if you have a fitbit or a garmin or something that's that's tracking them just out of curiosity to kind of see how that's already working for you. But for instance, if you did have sleep apnea, the variations would be like really, um, really big. Yeah. Mm. Really big. Interesting. I'm now I'm going to have to dig into this because I know I can do that, but I don't have it turned on full time. So I'm going to have to, uh, conduct another experiment and report back. (laughs) (laughs) We can talk about that next time. We can talk about the pros and cons of tracking sleep and tracking fitness because that's a whole whole other topic. (laughs) Yes. Oh, we should definitely put, make, put that on your calendar. We should definitely talk about that. Um, you, so are those those are those all the high points of the things in the in the day that you wanted to talk about? I I know I totally hijacked the conversation no. and took us to a completely other place. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Remember, I have ADHD. That's why my brain does all the time. Anyway, um, no, those are like the main things for morning, and then we got into a little bit of daytime with nutrition. But the one other thing I want to touch on about daytime, and then we can talk about some bedtime stuff. Um, but the other thing is like because you mentioned napping, so that made me think of that as well. Is having some daytime rest is really important every day, whether you've had a bad night's sleep or not. But this is one of those things where it can really vary how much time you give to it based on your schedule or based on how tired you are. So it's really important to rest in the afternoon for at least a few minutes. And this, again, goes back to that two-minute rule, you know, not being all or nothing. Like, you could literally just set an alarm on your, did you see I'm big on the setting the alarms on my phone? Yeah. <laughs> you could just set an alarm on your phone, put it in your calendar um, to have, have, have a little bit of rest. And if you only have two minutes, just, you know, tur- don't look at your screens, close your eyes, check in with the body. There's, um, I, I do a body scan that you can do in two minutes. I could share that with your listeners as well. 
Um, but there's little things you could do, you know, in two minutes, if you have longer five or 10 minutes, maybe you listen to a guided meditation, maybe you do legs up the wall, especially if you're working from home, and that's easy to do. Um, maybe you go for a quick walk outside where you don't have your phone on, uh, or leave your phone at home or have it on airplane mode and go out and like allow your mind to be bored, like allow that's a different type of rest that we need. And, and then um, if you have longer, if you have 10 to 30 minutes, maybe you do a yoga nidra, you know, maybe you just lay down for a bit, not looking at your phone, scrolling your phone is not resting. <laughs> it's not, it's not resting. I know it, I know it like counterfeits for rest these days, but it's yep. not. Um, you know, but actually having some proper rest in the day, which not everyone has the luxury of having that in their work day. And I completely get that. That's why I'm saying start with two minutes, two minutes, even two minutes is probably more than most people are doing now. And that is a really good thing to do because of a few things. It's going to help restore your nervous system. So you'll hopefully feel better throughout the day, especially if you're really tired, it's going to give you that little reset. Now, you know, when you're like really tired and busy and stressed and you think, I just don't, I, po- I don't possibly have time to stop. Like I can't. Yep. That's yep. ironically when we need it the most. And, you know, when you actually take that time and stop for two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever you then have to accomplish later in the day is going to feel so much easier. Cause I know when I'm tired, it's like a task that normally takes 30 minutes to do can just stretch on for hours. And you know, you think, Oh, I'm so busy. I have to focus. I have to get this done. And then it's like, actually, if you were to just stop for a few minutes and go back to it fresh, it'll flow so much better. And that's especially true, you know, when you're tired. So that's one thing about the actual, like, speaking to productivity, but then in terms of speaking to your sleep and setting yourself up for better sleep that night, when you have that little bit of rest in the day, even starting with a few minutes, you're starting to retrain your nervous system. So this is how you're going to get your nervous system back into regulation. It's little small things, you know, like I said, you're not going to go off and live in a cave. You're not going to take three hour naps. Well, don't take three hour naps anyway. So those are too long. That's too long of a nap. Um, but we can talk more about naps, like how to actually how to have the right amount of nap. We can talk about that next if you want. But even having that little bit of rest in the day is sending a message to your nervous system that it's okay to stop. Because going mm-hmm. all the way back to the beginning when we were talking about sleep procrastination and that avoiding, you know, not wanting to go to bed and remember all the things that happened that went wrong in our day or 20 years ago or whatever comes up in your yep. head. This is the thing that so many of us have that come up at nighttime, have that come up when we get in bed because we've been going, going, going nonstop all day. And the first time we've stopped is when our head hits the pillow at night. Yes. And then we wonder why we can't switch off. And then if you give time in the day for, and this is kind of going off on a slightly different tangent, but if you have time in the day where you check in with yourself, that's then that won't creep up on you on bedtime as much. So whether that's doing morning pages in the morning or having this little break in the afternoon, but you're also like not just shoving that all aside and have it come flooding in in the evening. But in terms of our nervous system, we need to have that little bit of stop. We need to remind the body that it's safe to stop. Mm -hmm. And that was my problem. And it's still to some extent is like, I'm up, I'm a morning person. I go, I, I need a list. I need a goal. I have like, I'm on. I try to be, I try to, it's sort of like, I try to just go and get as much. It's a sprint for me to get, you know, the first half of the day is my good time. So I try to get as much done, as much thinking, as much brain power stuff I need to do in the first half of the day. And then the second half of the day, more challenging for me. Like I just, I don't do my big thinking tasks then. 
But going back to what you said before, even if you work a job and you don't have the luxury of doing legs up the wall because you work from home, I'll tell you what I used to do. You might find this funny. I used to just go into the bathroom and like we had locker rooms on a separate level in our office attached to our gym. And I would just go into the like shower stall locker room, close the door. And I would listen to a meditation and like stay there for five minutes. And then I would go back upstairs and people would, some, I think people were like, why were you in the bathroom for so long? But it just was like my daily, you know, stress valve relief. And I love that analogy that you just use about how like we need to blow off steam in this way in order for us to be able to lay down at night and be able to put our heads on the pillow and actually rest versus needing the first half hour, two hours, whatever it is to, to vent steam, to blow off everything that's happened and then go to bed. Cause that was my problem. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. I don't think that's, I mean, I don't think that's silly. I think that's a, a great idea and that's clever. And you, you know, you touched on a few things there. One being our concern about what other people think. Um, yeah. and that is not, you know, if you're feeling that way, oh, I can't rest at work because people are going to look at me funny. You're not alone there. Unfortunately, it's like baked into our, our, you know, our system as a society in a few different ways. Like, first of all, it's like we put productivity on a pedestal. And if we don't seem to be doing something, then we must be lazy. We must be incompetent. We must be whatever negative thing your, you know, your, your gremlin puts in your head. Right. So we, we take that on. Right. And that's a societal thing. And especially, especially in the US where yes. you know people are you know we have their puritanical roots and you work yourself to death and you don't get any holiday time and our vacation time sorry you know i've become too um britishized now but, <laughs> you know like there's especially that there but even here when i work i work with a lot of you know companies i go into i do a lot of corporate well-being talks and and it comes from like a top down thing so if you're a manager listening to this it's like get your team on board with having like a 2 minute break every day you know or if you're somebody that can be a change maker in your office suggesting that but even if you go in an office that's like a startup and they're trying to be cool and they have the nap pods and they have the meditation space still a lot of people don't use them because they're still worried about how they're going to be perceived so yep just being aware of that, just becoming aware of that, that that you talked about earlier about roadblocks, like getting these roadblocks out of the way, like that's a roadblock, you know, that's an issue that we have to deal with. And if you don't feel comfortable sitting and closing your eyes in the office for five minutes, then yeah, going to the the bathroom and going in a stall, like there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if you don't have an outdoor space, you can sit and go like, that's, that's fine. Um, you know, to, to deal with it how, how you want. But I do think the more people show up and say, hey, I'm going to do this because it's going to help me feel better. And I'm going to like, it close my eyes for a minute, or I'm going to do this like self acupressure, you know, like massage thing on your hands or your neck or something to help yourself re- relax. And the more that we kind of normalize it, the more we can have an effect on hopefully positively on others as well. But I totally get that challenge there with that is a big thing with daytime rest. And also it's not just if you're in the office, we internalize this so much to the extent that it can be really the hardest part about resting is usually just like getting yourself to go do it. Yeah. Sometimes you lay down and your mind's racing and then that might feel difficult and you have to, you know, bring yourself back to whatever you're listening to or bring yourself back to your breath. Yeah, that's, that's, that happens. Right. But usually it's like, can you even get yourself to do it? And I'm guilty of this as well. Even when this is literally like what I teach and preach, like I will have days where I'm really busy where I'm like, 
will will almost like falter for a minute and be like, I have to remind myself, no, it's okay to go rest. Like you have to pump yourself up. You have to talk yourself into it. And like you said before about the shakedown, how, you know, the more you do it, the more you realize it's going to make you feel good. Rest is a practice that takes practice. So it's that same kind of thing. The more you do it, the more you see, A, it's not that hard to do. You know, B, you're not totally screwing up your schedule. Like you can afford to do it. And then C, like you get the benefit of it. You see how how um, helpful it is to helping you have that reset, to helping you start to sleep better at night. And you're going to, you know, you want to do it. But just to say, if the idea of resting feels challenging, you're, you know, you're not alone. It's something that we have to re reprogram ourselves to be able to do. I love that. I was just pulling out my pen to write down rest is a practice that takes practice. Cause I think that's so good. <laughs> you should make a quote card. It's so funny. We actually have um, one listener in particular, Sarah, she knows who she is. She makes me all these little quote cards, like, like from things that I say, I guarantee you she's going to hear oh, this Sarah, and then make a quote I, card. <laughs> I love that. That's really cute. I love that she does that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, do you want me to tell you like, a little bit about some boundaries around naps or like if people are curious about yes okay um yes let's talk about naps like I think the you know I think the 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 kicker with naps is the I do agree that the boundaries is where it's at because it's like okay I'm sold on the the idea that I should try and take a nap maybe I've identified the time of day that I'm capable of doing it and like where I'm going to do it. But yeah, giving me some parameters around like, you know, how to do it and how long and that stuff. I think that would be super helpful. Yeah. And what I should have said earlier in terms of time of day for getting daytime rest, it's like usually um, around around lunchtime to a few hours later. So, you know, maybe like 1 to 3 p.m. Like mm. maybe it's noon, maybe it's 4, but not getting too close to bedtime in terms of nap. Yeah. But, you know, we in sleep therapy, um, my teacher used to call it the 2 p.m. slump, like that time of day where you you naturally crave rest. And I think we talked about this in detail as well yes. in the talk before. But it's like there's a reason that you – at that time of day after lunch, you know, feel like you want to reach for that caffeine or that sugar or want to go take that nap. It's because the body is actually designed to require daytime rest. And Matthew Walker in his book, Why We Sleep, talks about this in, in detail as well. Um, but it's actually something we we need. This is why traditionally over the world, like there, you know, so people take siestas and you have these mm-hmm. times, you know, built into the day, which we've lost in our Western world and our way of working yeah. so much. But um, in terms of nap, yeah, boundaries is everything. So again, you know what you said, like, oh, I should be taking a nap, like just to say, maybe you don't need a nap that day. Maybe that day is just the day you rest for two minutes. Maybe that day you listen to a five minute meditation. You know, it's not that it has to be a nap. But if you like a nap, and if you could use a nap, <laughs> here's what you can do. So first of all, we want to have some limit on how long the nap lasts. So ideally not more than 45 minutes. So kind of like a the 20 to 45 minute is is kind of the sweet spot there. Um, what happens is if you go too far past that, you start getting into deeper cycles of sleep. Have you ever had a nap where you kind of like wake up and you're like, what time is it? What day is it? Where am I? <laughs> yes. Know, that like that that stupor, right? You know, because maybe you've started going into too deep of a of a sleep cycle. So that's one thing. The second thing is doing it at the right time of day. So not having the nap too late in the day. Um, Like I'm a big fan of 
you know, restorative yoga and all these things, but I'm kind of like, and obviously I've been talking about yoga nidra and all these things that are great, but I actually wouldn't do a lot of them. Some of the poses like right before bed, because it's almost like too restful that it could upset your sleep, but that's a, that's a whole other thing. But, um, you know, just, just knowing that you're kind of getting this at the right time of day when you need it. And, and when we're talking about boundaries, you know, set an alarm, like don't just go to bed and not have any plan of when you're going to wake up. And if you think it's going to take you five or 10 minutes to drop, to drop off, like build that into the alarm. But often if you set an alarm for like 45 minutes, then you know, okay, well maybe I'll sleep for 20. You know, you don't have to feel like you have to sleep that whole chunk. But the ultimate thing around napping that I'd recommend, um, and I keep using the word yoga nidra, yoga nidra just means yogic sleep. It's, it's, that's all it is. It's a guided meditation that puts you in that state. I love taking a yoga nidra nap. So by that, I mean, I go to bed and I listen to a yoga nidra meditation. You know, usually the, the pose that you're supposed to do for that is like what you would do in like Shavasana when you're lying on your back, your palms up and you just do that under your covers. Like I just find that I get more of the benefit from it energetically than if I'm like curled up in a, a ball. Mm. Like the normal way I sleep at night is like yeah. you know, fetal position, like curled up. But actually when I go and nap, I do it in this certain way to kind of like, again, I'm going to sound woo, but to kind of like receive the energy and I do Reiki as well. So like I because I'm trained in Reiki, I actually literally feel the energy. Like I like feel it. And anyone can access that, by the way. Any of you could learn Reiki who are listening to this. It's something we all have in us. We're en- we're made of energy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I haven't just lost everybody with that. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. Had you opened with that, I think we would have <laughs> lost people. But like we're an hour in now. We're well over an hour in. So I think people are fully bought in. Yeah, and I agree, like, enough science. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, but no. But I think like on some level... Like if you, the the people that are here, the people that are listening to this, they're not the average Joe Schmoes off the street. They are in tune with their bodies at some level. They are runners. They understand this. And even if they're at the beginning stages of that, they still are, I think, more aware than the average just, you know, Joe Schmo on the street. Um, and so I, I think even if you think that you may have lost somebody, they understand that at a very fundamental level. And I agree with you. Like it's, and it's funny because I never really gave any thought to the position that I sleep in during my naps, but this also makes sense to me too. Maybe diff, cause I sleep on my side sort of curled up in the fetal position when I actually sleep. But when I nap it, I think it would be an interesting experiment for me to do the same thing that you're doing, like sleep in that sort of Shavasana pose and create some separation. Because I think one of the things that happens for me is that I get worried, even though that I, I always have an alarm set that I'm going to oversleep it. And so I'm stressed about oversleeping it and trying to get comfortable in my normal sleep position. And I'm just, I'm trying to overlap. You know what I mean? Am I, am I saying that? I think I get that. Like either you're worried you're not going to fall asleep when you're taking a mm-hmm. nap and you're going to be laying there or, or you're worried you're going to oversleep. And that's why I'm like, you should definitely try some of these yoga nidras. I'm going to send you like links to my favorite, which you could yes. share with your, um, and they're for free on the, on insight timer. So anyone can get them. Mm. Um, but that's why yoga nidra is so great because you you actually don't feel groggy the way you would after a nap because it puts Mm. you in that hypnagogic state between sleep and rest. And it's quite hypnotic as well. And you're going in and you're just listening to it, describe different parts of your body and you're just bringing the attention to different parts of your body. So it's not like some meditation where you have to work really hard and think and do something. You're just literally like, it's like, you know, your thumb and you picture your thumb. It's like, it's very simple in terms of like what your thought process is. And if your mind wanders off, you just come back, you just come back and check in wherever it is 
is and just, you know, there's no effort really needed there. Um, and you kind of will go in and out of it. You know, there might be bits where you do fall asleep and there might be bits where you're kind of half awake and, and that's okay. You still get the benefit of it. Um, and what I love about it is when I, when I'm done with it, I actually feel refreshed. I don't get that thing where I feel half awake and I feel confused. Like a lot of people don't like napping because they're like, oh, I don't like the way when I feel when I wake up from a nap. And part of that is, you know, maybe having too long of a nap, but then part of it is also, you know, getting into a sleep cycle a little bit and not really feeling that good. So that's why I think a yoga nidra nap is the way to go. And you can download these and have them on your phone, have them in an app and just, you know, press play. Um, and yeah, like I liked what you said about having a differentiation in this, in the pose that you, you know, the position that you take for napping over sleep, because I think that's so important to kind of offset that. So you're not telling your body because so much of it is like messaging to the body, of course. Right. Yep. So you're not telling your body, I'm going to sleep. You're telling your body, I'm doing something restful and restorative, you know, and that's the message you're giving. Um, and I, you know, speaking of like, positions to sleep and you'll see a lot of articles about like what's the best position to sleep in I kind of like don't give a lot of that a lot of stock because you can't really control it yeah you can go to sleep on your back and wake up on your front you know like yeah. you're not unless you're like some masterful sleeper or you're having major out-of-body experiences and you can or you know major like uh, you know like dreams where you can control everything and like oh I can also control my body fab but like um you're, you're most likely you're gonna you, we all move in our sleep and we change positions and there's certain positions that the body gravitates to because we find it more comfortable for whatever reason whether that's something from childhood whether that's something to do with an ache or pain or injury and we're compensating and we're sleeping away so you can't really control that much what you can control is getting the right pillow for the position that you tend to sleep in most that that you can control so like if you're a back sleeper versus a side sleeper you're probably going to have a different um, or like a front sleeper. Front sleepers, for sure, you want like a really thin pillow. Um, but you're, you can control that. But what you can also control is like how what position you're in when you take a nap. You know, like if you fall deep asleep, yeah, you might wind up like waking up in a different position. But if you're doing a, a yoga nidra nap, very likely you're just going to be on your back and you're just going to wake up feeling good. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to try that now and try to create some, you know, different sleep conditions. Yeah. So I, I, I'm definitely looking forward to you sending me those links so I can test it out, test it out I'll send <laughs> with you, all the I'll things. I'll send you some shorter <laughs> ones as well because like sometimes yeah. you don't need the 30-minute nap and you just mm-hmm. want to lay there for 10 minutes and there's some nice mm-hmm. ones that are just 10 minutes that give you that. So I think we are – I might already know the answer to this question, but what if we – and this is sort of specifically centered around napping. Like what if we only have – let's say we only have 20 minutes total from the time that we lay down to the time that we need to get back up again. And, you know, we're having um, a tough time actually falling asleep. Is there still benefit to going through the motion, so to speak, of going and laying down and putting on the thing? And even if we're just laying there – we're definitely not sleeping, but at least we're horizontal, right? Is there benefit in that? Yeah, the short answer, yes. So, okay. you know, when you're doing that, when you're giving yourself that time to switch off, it doesn't, it's not about it looking or having to achieve a certain thing. Like, it's not like you have to fall asleep, uh, especially with yoga nidra. Actually, traditionally, yoga nidra, some will tell you, um, to tell yourself that you're not going to go to sleep, you know, you're technically supposed to stay awake and listen. Um, but I don't, you know, ascribe to that so much. I think you can go in and out of it, but it's not about it achieving a certain thing or looking the same way every time you do it. The mere act of telling yourself, I'm going to give myself this break to switch off 
you're already doing something great. And then if you go and you just lay there and you're resting and you're not on your phone, uh, just need to say that in case, um, yeah. <laughs> you can still be triggering the relaxation response. So of all mm. the amazing things sleep does, the one thing it doesn't do is actually trigger the relaxation response in the body. So there's a lot mm. of other ways to trigger the relaxation response, whether that's like getting a massage or, you know, doing self acupressure or, you know, there's like, or just resting. So resting triggers the relaxation response. So even if you just go and you lie down, we, this comes back to this whole idea with mindset, like letting go of that grasping of like, I need to fall asleep or I need this, like going back into what you're giving yourself. Like I'm giving myself this moment to rest. You know, I'm giving myself this space in the day. I'm giving myself this time where I don't have to do anything. And sometimes that means not like the doing we get so attached to, maybe the doing that you're focused on is trying to sleep. You know, during a nap, like let, you can like let that even at night, that gets into a whole other thing with mindset at night. But like, even at night, it's like letting go of that grasping that like, I have to fall asleep in this moment yes. can be the thing that actually helps you fall asleep. But yeah, yeah, resting and just closing your eyes like that can still be really, really useful. And if your mind's wandering, just notice it wander, you know, come back to mm. your breath, notice it wander, you know, don't get upset that you're thinking, like notice that you're thinking. Mm hmm. I think that's super helpful just to, you know, remind people that you, you just have to give yourself permission to go lay down and that even, like I said, going through the motions is going to be helpful. I, I like to think about it as I'm practicing napping, right? Like I'm, I'm for, you know, just like I'm practicing running, I'm practicing yoga. I'm, I'm like, I may not, I'm definitely not going to be good at it the first time around. Right. And so if I just set up the conditions and show up and do the practice that eventually I will get into a habit where I am going to fall asleep. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. And I admittedly, I have not been good about napping and largely because I haven't really felt like I've needed it because of what we talked about before with the mouth taping and just the better quality of nighttime sleep. But I do think that there, I really resonate with the idea that at some point in the afternoon hours, I hit a wall where my brain is just like, totally gassed. And I also agree with what you talked about earlier, where I'll get to a certain point and something is taking way longer than it should. And I'll walk away. I'll go for a walk with the dog just down the end of the street and back, or I'll go outside and drink a glass of water and, you know, get my vitamin D for the day. And then I'll come back and it's so much easier. I have more mental clarity. I'm able to bang it out you know, super fast. Um, and so every time I try to, it's, it's funny because I try to fight it all the time. I'm like, no, I just need to get this done. And then in the next breath, I'm like, but I really should just walk away from this right now and then come back to it. And it's like, you speed up time because what, what was going to take you 30 minutes, you go away for five, come back. It takes you five. You just gained, you know, 20 minutes. (laughs) And and like, it's, it's that idea of like hitting refresh, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, you're not going to do that by doom scrolling. You're not going to do that by staring at Instagram. You're not going to do that by like staring at your computer screen. No. Nope. You need to refresh in another way. And and like you said, getting outside, having that glass of water, walking the dog, those are all ways, nice ways of kind of having that refresh as well. It doesn't always have to be lying down and taking a nap. You know, there's other yeah. ways to do it. And I also like that idea of like when you feel yourself hit a wall, like you don't have to set an alarm. You don't have to schedule it into your, into your day you know, maybe you listen more to your body when you get that signal. And rather Mm -hmm. than thinking, okay, I'm going to go have another cup of coffee, or I'm just going to stare at my phone, like, that's, that can be the signal. I say schedule it in or set an alarm, because 
a lot of people won't do it if they don't, you know, they need to see it in their planner for it to be real. But if you, you know, just also work on just that embodied thing of, of feeling it, just feeling when you need it, feeling when you have that craving where you feel like I've, you know, I can't go on or I can't think straight right now. And instead of going for the caffeine, like do, doing something else that's actually going to refresh yourself in a healthy way. This whole idea of um, listening to your body and feeling into it and, you know, figuring it out for yourself is surprisingly one of the places where I've gotten some resistance from people. Like, how do I know, just for example, some of the things people have said, like, how do I know what parts need stretching? How do I know when to, you know, go run faster, run slower? Like, how do I know, you know, and it's funny because I've gotten to a place where those are automatic for me. And so sometimes I have to dial back in my head and go back to sort of my, the beginning of my process and, and try to remember that. But to me, I'm like, well, you just feel it. Like you just, and so I always find it interesting when people are challenged with that because I'm like, okay, you actually need to do this more because you've so lost touch. And I don't say that in a bad way. It's just like, this will really accelerate whatever the result is that you're trying to get. Because if you override everything, all the like natural urges or the, you know, suggestions that your body is giving you to drink or eat or rest or whatever, then your propensity for burnout or stress or training related injuries to just you know take it back to the training aspect is going to be much much higher like if you ignore all the warning signs you blow through all the red lights you know you, you hit all the cones the traffic cones right along the way and then the only thing that's going to stop you is like a crash of some sort, then we got to dial it back and we got to just to take this traffic analogy all the way back, right? (laughs) Like take you back to driving or traffic school and like teach you the rules of the road again. And so this is where like listening to yourself comes in so handy because you can start to spot, you know, your shoulder getting cranky or your hip getting cranky and then like compounding on top of that, you're not sleeping well. And then if you blow through those and you just go out and run a really hard, you know, hill workout. And then the next two days you are absolutely in the tank. Like you have nothing left and you wonder why. And then you just keep, you know, you, you never quote unquote, learn the lesson. You're going to find training and just life in general, like day-to-day execution of your tasks to be much more challenging because you've, you've missed all the warning signs. Yeah. That, I mean, that's such a good analogy and it's so, it's so true. And I, you know, there's probably so many reasons why we are conditioned societally to push ourselves to those extents. And the thing is, is that for so many of us, we are disembodied. We are, which just means, you know, not feeling connected to your body, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's various reasons why that kind of can come up for us in our lives. But a lot of people just aren't in tune with their body, don't know how to listen to their body, don't know it's a thing you should be doing even. You know, we mm-hmm. have this thing where we kind of like separate the mind and the body. You know, it's mm-hmm. like we forget that it all works together and yep. the, you know, mind and body are connected. Um, and if you want to know more about that and the connection with trauma, or, you know, read uh, The Body Keeps the Score, read those books. But there, it's, there, you, there, you can't disconnect them. You know, they're inherently connected. 
So we need to reconnect with our body as the, as the first step. And, and like you say, like the way you do that is if you're just connected with your body, then you need this even more, you know, that it's, again, it's the, so much of this is like practice, right? We're reconditioning ourselves. We're reconditioning ourselves to know how to sleep, to know how to listen to our body. When you like, look at a, like a little kid, they are connected with their body. They're going to tell you exactly what's going on, exactly what they're feeling. And maybe a lot of it is just, you know, in our cultures, like being, told, you know, we, we kind of get retrained from this because it's not polite. It's not polite to talk about mm-hmm. how, you know, <laughs> that you need to take a poop or whatever, you know, yeah. like, you know, yeah. thinking about my toddler here, you know, but it's yeah. like, <laughs> you're not going to announce the room that you have to go poop. Maybe, maybe you do, yeah. maybe among your friends. That's great. But like, you know, there's this thing where we then, we then think, oh, I, I don't have, um, I'm just going to hold it. I'm not going to go to the bathroom right now because I'm busy working or, you know, these things that kind of just subconsciously fill in and, or I'm going to ignore that pain because I really want to train today. Mm-hmm. I have to do this or I have to exercise. And, and slowly, little by little, we disintegrate that connection. Mm-hmm. So in order to be able to listen to what your body needs and then give it what you need, you need to like reconnect with it. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's a matter of like faking it till you make it in terms of these habits. So it's like, do the thing until it starts to click. Like mm-hmm. you may not know right now why you, you may not feel like you need to rest. You may not feel like you need to do the shakedown. You may not feel these inherent messages from your body, but the more you do these kinds of things, that's how you're going to switch those messages on. Totally. Totally. I couldn't agree more. Like that's the, that in, in and of itself is the essence of how we end up getting to where we want to go. Like we, we know where we want to be. We know the ultimate goal, whether that's sleep or training or whatever. And in some way, shape or form, you know, that you have to go on that path to get there. And the first step is to just do the most basic thing. Even if you feel like, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it will work, maybe it won't. But what I tell people all the time is, you don't have to know how to, you know, train for whatever the race is. You just need to have the goal and then start. And then the next step will become apparent to you. And that's, I have found that to be personally true for basically any task that I take on. Like just be, just set the goal, just be willing to start and then be open to the process and be like, okay, test this thing out first and foremost, give it ample time. If that doesn't work, then, you know, along the way, while you're testing, something else will come into your view and you'll be like, oh, maybe that's the thing. And then you try that. And then you get this, you know, curvy line. It's never, there's, it's never a straight line from where you are to where you want to go. There's always, if you zoom in on it, there's always these twists and turns and it's going to involve testing and trying and practicing a bunch of stuff. And then eventually you'll come up with the recipe, right? That's going to get you to where you want to go, but you have to just be open to the process and, and open to reestablishing that connection in order for it to happen. Yeah. And that's what's going to make it second nature. You know, if this stuff doesn't feel second nature now, like I said, I was a really bad sleeper. Like none of this stuff was second nature. A decade Mm -hmm. ago, none of this stuff was second nature. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's not just because you're not feeling it now doesn't mean it's not possible. And and it's like, I like what you say about, you know, testing it out because this is an analogy I often use with my sleep therapy clients is like you're putting on a a white coat and you're kind of experimenting and you're like, I'm going to like, I can give you a list of 10 different things you can do in the morning, but you need to see which ones resonate with you. And it's not about doing all 10 every morning either. Some morning you just do two of them and you feel great. Some morning you need more support. So, you know, that goes for the rest recovery idea as well. It's like trying these different things out. 
you know, there's certain like kind of non-negotiables we talked about, like hydrating and, and trying to get light and, and trying to get away from your phone. But, you know, maybe you're not going to have a rest practice every morning. Maybe you don't need it every morning. You know, like there's, there's things that are interchangeable. And, and like with any of these things, it's like about building them in small and incrementally, you know, like you don't have to go and change everything at once. If you want, at the end, I can just kind of like go through the top things to definitely do, but like, you don't have to do them all at once. Like when I work with clients, um, we weave things in week by week. So it's like we do like we're working on, you know, we're working on night times, then we work on mornings, then we work on days. Yeah. And, and you're learning the techniques as you go. And then you're layering it in. You're not meant to like go away and suddenly like how it's not like sleep is like some test that you have to get right or wrong. It's just about yeah. that reconnection with the body. And then sorry to the, you know, veggies and the vegans out there, but my mom always says, how do you eat an elephant? One small bite at a time. You know, it's right. that idea of like, like, like you said, breaking down the parts and just like, it becomes apparent. It's like mm-hmm. the things that you need to do. And so not feeling yeah. like you have to do it all at once. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, to, to wrap it up, give us your hit list of, you know, of the top things. I don't know if, if they are the heavy hitters or just the things that you think are the most important for people to be doing right now. Like if someone's listening to this and they're like, I am a shitty sleeper (laughs) and I want to, I want to, I'm ready to take action. What would you suggest they start with? Yeah. So the first thing is going to actually go into bedtime is like getting off your screens, all of your screens, TV, phone, everything, Mm -hmm. computer, at least 30 minutes before bed and building in that time before bed where you're doing something to help yourself wind down for sleep. So like I teach Mm. like a stretching, stretching techniques that you do that actually like ease the tension from your body. You were talking before about, you know, certain movements. There's some that are better before bed than others because some Mm -hmm. movement for bed can be too overstimulating, but like one of the biggest causes of insomnia is pain and tension in the body, even if it's subconscious. So, you know, having this time before bed, whether it's like, whether it's doing that or, or doing breathing exercises like we were talking about or um, doing like your skincare routine or something you find relaxing and you might try this. You may think, I don't know what to do with myself for 30 minutes. Like, <laughs> like that's okay. Lean into the boredom. Like that's a good thing. I, I like reading in bed. I have a little clip in book light that has a red light because um, it's important to not have too much, you know, of the blue light and white lights at night. So uh, if you're going to read in bed, you know, that's a great thing. You can just get them online. Like they're not, you know, they're like 10, 10 or 15 bucks or something and they clip into your book. Um, or if you're going to use a Kindle, just it's kind of like the lesser of evil of screens, but have it on a really dim setting. I do notice mm-hmm. a difference though when I read my Kindle versus if I read with, mm. with the red light. Interesting. So it's like dimming the lights at night as well, like in your house in the in the you know don't having all the bright lights on, like having it starting to set the scene for sleep. And mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot more we could talk about. Maybe we'll come back and do one just all about like a better bedtime routine another day. I'm yeah. actually working on a workshop about that. So maybe Ooh, cool. that'll be good. We can come back and, you know, talk about yeah. that or offer it to your clients or whatever. But um, you know, just so starting to get that disconnection from the phone and reconnecting with the body at bedtime. That's the first thing. Second thing is doing some of that nice stuff for yourself in the morning, like hydrating, getting natural light, limiting phone use, resting as needed, moving. Those like kind of the five things you can really do in the morning and then having that little bit of rest in the day. So, you know, having that at least two minutes <laughs> of rest where you're not looking at your phones, even if you literally just close your eyes and check in with your body and notice what your body's feeling. Notice how you're feeling emotionally, even, you know, just checking in. 
Um, and those are kind of like the main things to do. And then in terms of like overall breaking the bad sleep cycle, notice when you're using coping techniques that are making things mm. worse, you know? So did you feel better after having that coffee and like sugar or do you feel worse, you know? Yeah. And being like a firm but kind self-parent, you know? So giving yeah. yourself that support of like saying, okay, now like, it's not like you're being harsh on yourself and saying you have to eat this way, you have to do this, but like, you know, giving yourself that kind love that you'd want to get from someone who was guiding you, who you respect, you know? And um, if you fall off the horse, get back on. If you have a, a night where it goes wrong and a day where it doesn't go great, try again the next night. Don't feel like because I miss doing this one thing, then it's all for naught, you know? Like just, just, just try it again. Try it again the next night. And I always tell my clients this as well. If you've had one bad night of sleep, the best way to make it not become a cycle of bad sleep is to just try the habits, try the routines again, get back into it. And just give yourself grace that it takes time. You know, that's I think we keep coming back to that today. And that's so opposite of what people want to do in our um, yeah. <laughs> in our instant <laughs> fix society. You know, take this one supplement, do this one thing. This is the thing that's going to solve all your problems. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, the body's not actually built that way. It's taken yourself this long to get into this state. It's going to take yourself a little bit of time to get out of it. That's so good. That's so good. I mean, so much valuable knowledge and tips and ideas that you've shared with us today. I'm super happy to have connected and, and to, for people to get to hear this, tell everybody where they can find you, how they can work with you, what you have going on, all the fun stuff. Yeah, sure. So my, so I use the name Risa Gabrielle in my sleep work. That's actually my first and middle name. And Gabrielle is spelled G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. So if you go to risagabrielle.com or you can find me on Instagram, Risa underscore Gabrielle. I should probably spell Risa too. That's not the usual name, is it? So it's, it's not. <laughs> Risa is just Lisa with an R. So it's R-I-S-A underscore Gabrielle. Um, you can find me on Instagram. That's probably the, the um, you know, best way to connect. And then I work with people one-on-one. -on -one, so I work with private sleep therapy clients. Um, and I also have an online sleep therapy program called sleep rehab. And I'm going to be bringing that back soon. So you can get on the waiting list if you go on my Instagram, or you can DM me, I also just do free 20 minute sleep consults. So if you have a question about a specific topic, and you want to talk about, ask a question about it, see if there's a way we could work together, you are more than welcome, you can book in for that um, on my Instagram as well. And then we can just chat and see how we might be able to work together. But when I work with a client, it's like, it's really about drilling down to exactly what's going on with them. So mm -hmm. it's really, it's really personal. And I build a plan for them. That's like, this is a, this is what you need to do. And again, it gives them those mm -hmm. options to go out and experiment and try things, but it's like, it's really clear cut. So you're not sitting there trying to figure it out. It's like, mm. it's like, you know, when people work with you and then they have this yeah. guiding hand of this experienced person who knows and can lead the way. It's the same thing with sleep. So you're not, you know, struggling through it alone because the last thing you want to do when you're tired is try to figure something out. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and just to say like, just to give people hope, if you're listening to this right now and you're, and you're not having good sleep or you're not having good recovery or you're feeling tired in the day, like just know it, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to yeah. be tired all the time. There, there yeah. is a better way. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll take what you've shared today and just start to run with it right now and implement a couple of these things. And then everybody um, should take you up on your offer for 20 minutes. And then, you know, after that, they should definitely take you up on your offer, at least for sleep rehab, if not working with you one-on-one, because all of all, everything that you talk about, everything you share is, is super valuable. So thank you so much for coming on and entertaining all of my crazy ideas about mouth taping and (laughs) thank you for having me it's always a pleasure and it always is just a reminder of how aligned we are you know even though we're teaching about different things Mm. like it's so great to connect and thank you so much for having me and thanks everybody for listening Well, hopefully you guys enjoyed that episode. I don't know about you, but I have a whole sheet of notes that I took while we were chatting. Basically all of the things that I need to recommit to doing or new things that I'm going to start practicing. So if you don't already, make sure you follow Risa on social media. And if you wanted to try some of the yoga nidra practices that she mentioned, I've included all those links in the show notes below this episode. Okay. If you're in my private Facebook group, Run Your First 50K, I'm going to drop those links over there too, just so that you can't miss them. (laughs) You won't have an excuse for A, not listening to this episode, B, not following Risa, and C, not taking her advice and doing all the things that she talks about, okay? Because she knows her shit, you guys. So (laughs) especially if you struggle with sleep, follow her, do what she says. I promise your sleep will improve, all right? And if you're not already a member of that Facebook group, make sure you come and join you guys. It's free and it's for women that want to run their first ultra. Just go to Facebook, search, run your first 50 K you'll find it under groups, hit request to join, answer the questions and you're in. Okay. So make sure you do that. We have just about 500 women in there now. And it's one of my favorite places to hang out and spend time. Now, some of you might remember that I've been talking about a new project, a new membership community that I've been building, and I'm super pumped to tell you that it's going to go live on Monday, June 12th. And the way that I'm going to do this is I'm actually going to roll it out to my alumni first. So those are the people that I have worked with in the past, either one-on-one or in groups. So if that's you and you're listening to this, go check your inbox because I sent the link yesterday for you to join. So if you don't see it for some reason, hit me back immediately, send me an email so I can get you the link. And then what's going to happen after that is I'm going to let them go in there for two weeks and see if they can break it. (laughs) Because I know that, um, you know, when you build things like this, that uh, there's going to be something that doesn't work right. And so these are my trusted friends, my alumni, the people that I've worked with in the past, and I know they get me. And so I'm going to let them have at it first. And then it's going to be open to everybody else on Monday, June 26th. So at the end of the month. All right. So if you're wondering what the difference is between the Facebook group and the membership, I'm going to give you a quick breakdown of the two. So the Facebook group is essentially meant as a jumping off point. I wanted to create a place where women like me who were interested in ultras and trails and going farther, faster, and stronger could could aggregate, could hang out together. Okay. So that's what that group is all about. We've got women in there that have, that, that joined with no ultra experience that have now gone on to complete one or more 50 Ks, 50 milers, and even hundred milers. And it's not like I kick you out. (laughs) 
<laughs> after you've completed your first 50K because the group is called Run Your First 50K. I think there's a lot of value to having people with a lot of experience and knowledge and wisdom in there. So it's it's like a, gosh, what's the word I want? It's It's like a... I'm hesitant to use the word sorority, but that's like, I mean sorority in the best kind of way, right? Like a group of women who get together, who are committed to a similar cause, who are excited about the same thing, right? So it's like this amazing group. Just ask anybody who's in there. (laughs) Trying to come up with a good name for it, a good descriptor for it. But really, you should just ask the women that are already in there. And quite frankly, you should just join yourself and see. So that's the Facebook group. The membership community, which by the way, is actually called She Runs Ultras, is going to be the next level of that, okay? So we're not just going to open it up specifically to people who want to run their first 50K. It's going to be the next level for everyone across the board. And in that membership, we're going to do a lot of amazing stuff. We're going to do weekly coaching calls. You're going to get access to the training plans, the mobility videos, live mobility and strength classes, master classes from experts like Risa, many of the experts that you've heard on the podcast that are going to come in and share their tips, their tricks, their their wealth of knowledge with you and specifically coach you on it. So it's the next level. It's not just hey, here's a bunch of information, go do with it what you will. It's like, hey, here's this information. Now let's dig in together and get you where you need to go in order to accomplish your goals, right? So lots of interaction with me, lots of interaction with those experts. And I have so many plans for this thing, you guys. It's crazy. So this is just the beginning. So it's going to keep expanding. It's going to keep growing over time. So just a word to the wise. If you are at all interested in this, I would for sure get in on the ground level because as it continues to grow, as I continue to populate the library with resources and pull in other experts and eventually other coaches it's going to get more expensive. All right. So those of you guys that join in the beginning are going to get the benefit of the initial launch price. Okay. So more on this to come, keep your eyes peeled for some updates and maybe I'll do a specific podcast episode about this. But if you're an alumni, go check your inbox. And if you, we have not worked together, the first thing you should do is get into the run your first 50 K Facebook group, because there may or may not be a special something that's going to happen for those people. And on June 26th, Monday, June 26th, you'll see a link go live for any other woman that wants to join the She Runs Ultras membership community. That's all for this episode, you guys. Enjoy this beat, and I'll see you all soon. 